Good morning. Let's all stand. Together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Join me in adoration. Praise to the Lord, oh let all that is in me adore Him. Have life and breath Looking out there, I do see cheery, smiley faces. Isn't that wonderful? That is great. There is a little bit of sun shining out there. That is a blessing. But inside here, we have the sun shining in our hearts and in our worship. So let's go to him in prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you that we can come and worship together this morning. And I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit that stirs our hearts and moves in our souls. Help us to be a people that are sincere and genuine. Help us to exalt you today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, man. 
Together we're going to sing a new song. This is the song the choir sang last week. This is the day. You've heard it by the choir singing and the Awana group. They sang it too a little while ago. And don't worry, I will lead you. You just follow me, okay? Here we go. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift his name. This is the day that the Lord has made. Come and rejoice, we will rejoice and be glad in it. Whether the sun will shine, whether the skies will rain, I know that you are good. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift His name. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift His name. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift His name. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice as we lift His name.
Yeah. 
we appreciate that Pastor John as he ministers to us in music and our choir, our, our praise teams, all these folks who minister to us. We are so grateful for the work that they do, the practice, the time they put in. And I would like to encourage you, if you would like to be a part of that music ministry, Maybe you played an instrument in high school or you sang in a chorus. Uh, talk to John, talk to Sandra Joe. Uh, see if we can't plug you in, get you to be a part. This morning, I am going to take you to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Title of my message this morning is Deacons and Other Church Officers. And that's because we're coming up on our annual church business meeting. And what I want to do is I want to take us to the Bible this morning. And I want you to understand why we have church officers, especially deacons. Um, the pastor is also a church officer, but mine is not an annual. It doesn't come up for election every year. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that. But... Um, Deacons, trustees, church clerk, uh, treasurer, all of those, they do come up to election each year. And it is important for us as a church to understand that there are biblical qualifications. I'm always, uh, when, I, when I put out the little slips for nominations of officers and we give you the previous officers and we say, write down folks that you want, want to nominate. My hope and my you know, I always have anticipation that you will pray about that, seek the Lord about that, and that the folks that you nominate are biblically qualified to be leadership within our church. And so we're going to just look at that briefly. When I take you to Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, this text historically is looked upon as the introduction of the first church officers, first church deacons, First folks who have come to help meet a need within the congregation. The apostles, as they've been ministering in Jerusalem, Christ has been crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended up to heaven, and the apostles are beginning to do the work of the ministry. Thousands of people in Jerusalem have come to salvation. We know this because in the beginning of the book of Acts, it talks about it. So when we approach the church and understand that we're reading about this group of believers in Acts chapter 6, I want you to understand this is a church of thousands, not a church of a hundred, church of thousands. And so they come to kind of a place of, of a dilemma, and they've got to find a solution to that dilemma, and they've got to choose the right people to help. So let's look at what Acts chapter 6 is teaching us about church officers. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. I love how real the Bible is. It's talking about just people. You know, you might hear somebody grumbling about something. We've come into this election year. How many of you heard people grumbling about politics and all that kind of stuff? Have you heard it? No, lots of you are saying, no, I think everybody's happy as can be. But you hear grumbling. And grumbling is almost just, I don't know why it is, it's a natural part of humanity. And so here you've got this early church. People are getting saved, baptized. Things are happening. Folks are ministering to people. It's an exciting time. But there's off to the side a little group. And somebody's listening. And they're passing it on. They're grumblers. So it is between the Grecians, which are the Greeks, the Gentiles, and the Jewish ladies. They're widow ladies. And they're saying, you know what? I think that Ruth down the street, who goes to our church, I think they're taking better care of her than me. I'm Helen from the Grecian group. She's Ruth from the Jewish group. And I think they're showing a little bit of partiality to her. And the apostles are hearing this grumbling. And they're saying, hmm, 
we got a little problem here. So let's look at what takes place in verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look you out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. So we see here in this early church, right at the beginning, that there's a little bit of an area that's not being well cared for because there's just so many things to do. And the pastors, the 12 apostles, they can only deal with so much concerning preaching, teaching, ministering, soul winning, praying with people. And so they said, well, listen, we got a problem. Let's figure out the solution. Let's find the right people. And let's put them in place. Well, that's what churches have done down through the ages. So here we see that when they see that this problem involves real people, the widows, they have a genuine concern. Some feel a little slighted, some don't. They want to jump in there and meet that. They have the means to pro uh, provide the, the solution. So the pastors, they call out to the congregation. And we are a congregationally led church. We, we vote on things. Uh, we have annual business meetings. We as a congregation make decisions just like this. Now we are led by the pastor. The pastors here are letting, leading the congregation, but they're going to bring in others to help minister and to meet the need at the problem. So they tell them that there's some qualifications required. And I want you to notice that at verse seven of uh, verse three. He, they say to the congregation, look, we recognize that, yes, there's a difficulty here, but we just can't throw anybody in to take care of it. We need to make sure that they're qualified. Look at verse three with me, if you would. And it says, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And I, it doesn't matter what position the church has, whether it's pastor, deacon, trustees, church clerk, treasurer, Sunday school teacher, junior church worker. These qualifications right here that we have in Acts chapter 6, these should be part of every single person who is going to hold any position in the church. It should be that they are genuinely people who are honest people. They have an honest reputation. They are honest in their dealings with God. They're folks who are committed to that local church. They, they give, they're involved, they're honest in their faith. They're not just talking the talk, they're walking the walk. And then you go down here, he says, not only should they be honest, of honest report, they should be Holy Spirit-filled people. People who the Spirit of God is leading in their lives. They're not carnal, they're not wicked, they're not hot-tempered. They're people who the Holy Spirit is guiding in their daily walk. And, and I want you to understand, it doesn't matter what position they hold, whether it's the pastor or anybody, our, junior, our, our nursery workers, everybody should be a person who's an honest person, who is Holy Spirit led. And then what's it go on? It says, give to us the third one, they should be wise. And I love that because you know what? You need wisdom dealing with people. How many of you have ever had to deal with people? You've, you've ever had to deal with people? Listen, we all deal with people. And if I asked you, I would hope every one of us would raise our hand and say, yeah, 
I need wisdom in dealing with people. I don't care if it's your spouse, your kids, your parents, your coworkers, your church mates. We all need wisdom dealing with people. Sandra, Joe, and I have been married. We're getting ready to go on 46 years. Wow. Boy, can you imagine? You didn't even think I was 46 years old, did you? Yeah. Well, we got married when I was about three. She was, she was a newborn. Um, but you know what? Pray for Sandra Joe. She needs wisdom in dealing with me. We have been married for 45 years, and she still looks across the kitchen table, and I know she's thinking, what in the world? <laughs> Every one of us needs wisdom. And so as, as these apostles look at these, these congregations, the, this whole body of believers, they say, listen, I need you to choose out of this group. People who are honest. They are Holy Spirit led. And they are wise in their dealings with people. Because these apostles are getting ready to send them to ladies who are not happy. They're grumbling. And I don't care who it is, but when they're unhappy, it's hard to turn that frown upside down. And it takes some wisdom to do that. And so they said, find you seven individuals, seven men. Look amongst you. Find those who are of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost, wise in their dealings with others. And then they said, bring us the names. Nominate them to us. Bring us those names. And what do the apostles do? It says that they pray about it. They take those names and they pray about the names that are given to them. And they bring them to seven and they bring those guys together and they pray over them. Say, God Bless these, these folks. Bless them, empower them, help them. They're going to help solve a situation. They're going to help take care of a need within our congregation. And they pray for them and present them to the congregation. And you and I, as we do our annual business meeting, that's exactly what we do. I tell you, look out from amongst us. This year, Nancy Colby is retiring from being our church clerk. And so our assistant clerk has volunteered to step up to that role. She'll be nominated for that. But we have an empty spot for a church assistant clerk. And what does she do? Well, when our clerk is traveling the world, then we need an assistant clerk here who's taken notes during our business meetings to give to the clerk to be recorded in our books. That's it. That's it. But they need to be honest. We don't want them lying, right? Well, that, that was kind of quiet. <laughs> we don't want them lying. We want them to be really, you know, living their faith. We want them to be people who are genuine. You know, they are, they're involved in the church. They're giving to the church. They're serving at the church. They're, they're people who are committed to the things of God. And they need to be wise. That's just given. So whether it's a church clerk or, or a trustee or a deacon or whether it's the church treasurer, these qualifications, they're for the same. And I just ask you, bring those names. So for us, we have offices. Pastor doesn't get elected yearly. And as I already said, that's a wonderful thing. Uh, deacons are, trustees are, clerks are, treasurers are. And so each one of them in our congregation, they have a specific role, a purpose. Uh, deacons, diakonos, that's the uh, Greek word for deacons. Deacons in Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, its description is primarily a servant, whether in doing servile work or as an attendant, rendering free service without particular reference to its character. That's the definition of the word deaconos, diakonos in the Greek. Strong's exhaustive concordance for the exact same word, the exact same position, it says, 
to be an attendant, that is, wait upon, menially or as a friend, or figuratively as a teacher. Somebody who helps, helps. A deacon is a person who helps or aids the pastor in ministering to the congregation. They're not in charge, they're helping to minister to people. Our current deacons, Brother Paul, right there, Paul, Brother Kurt, in the foyer, uh, each one of them, they help minister as they help me. So I may call them up and say, hey, listen, so-and-so is in the hospital. Would you pop by and pray with them in their room? Or I might say, hey, listen, so-and-so is uh, going through a situation and they, they need somebody to help them with this situation. Could you, could you pop by and just help them with that? Could you, could you drop by uh, a pie or a, a, a dinner or something, anything to help minister to our congregation? That's what deacons do. So we meet the deacons, uh, usually Sunday night before Sunday night service, we go through our congregation, we pray for our church, and we look at folks who have special needs, and we pray for those needs. It's interesting in the Bible, it gives us the exact qualifications, and we're going to look at those in a little bit. Our constitution and bylaws gives us a description of their position. And so when you go to uh, Article 6 and Section 2, it says the duty of the deacons is to visit the sick and the lost, to care for the widows and orphans, to prepare and distribute the elements when we do Lord's Supper, to cooperate and, and assist with the pastor in the performance of his duties. It is a position that requires wisdom, sincerity in their faith. It requires somebody who's honest. Simple requirements that we found there in the book of Acts, but the Bible gives so much more, and we'll see those in just a few minutes. Trustees. Trustees in our church are simply people who have been assigned over the hardware. So I kind of illustrate this in this way, because we are such in a computer time, aren't we? We are. And I'm such not a computer person. But I can here relate. Because there are some people who are software people, right? That's the inner thinking of the computer. The inside works. Then there's the hardware people. They deal with all the hard stuff, the, the material things, the, the wires, the diodes or whatever, and the, the case and whatever is inside that computer that's hardware. The deacons are the software people. They're dealing with help ministering to the souls and hearts of people. The trustees are the hardware people. They help us to care for our properties, our potholes, our, our carpet, our, 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 uh, our books to help talk about, you know, how's the church doing? Are we, are we on track? Are we good? It's actually a legal position that helps us with uh, the um, 501c3 that we have as a nonprofit. So when we look at this, I'll, I'll read you very, very briefly what a trustee's position is in our church. Um, the pastor and church trustees shall be the legal representatives of this organization. The pastor shall be the president of this group of men. Their duties are to be legal representatives of the church, to care for the church property and arranging for its care and preservation. They'll, they shall exercise only those rights given to them by the church in respect to receiving and disposing of property and receiving and disposing of funds. The trustees may tr transact business not in excess of $1,000 without the church authorization. That's your trustees. But they still need to be folks who meet the qualifications of honest, full of the Holy Ghost, and wise. And we have church clerk. Church clerk is simply somebody who keeps the records. Folks who are joining the church. Folks who are being baptized. Folks who are moving away and need to come off of the roll. Uh, keeping the records of uh, voting to go ahead and buy all new carpet. They write it down and say, yes, the church voted to buy all new carpet. Yes, the church voted to go ahead and, and redo the platform. Why? So that in 40 years, 
when Kathy's grandson is a deacon at the church, and he's looking back, he says, who authorized that? Who put in this carpet? The new fad is to have mint green carpet, and this is not mint green. We need mint green. How did they come up with this? Well, they can look back and they can say, oh, well, way back when, back in the old days, they voted for this to be all replaced. Oh, and the platform too? Yes, and they voted to do Where is that? That's in the church clerk's record. But that person needs to be wise, full of the Holy Ghost. They need to be a person who meets the qualifications of basic service within the church. The treasurer, the, our treasurer is Anne, uh, Anne uh, Lowe, Anne Messenger, sorry, clicking through names. Uh, so Anne Messenger, she's our treasurer. Our assistant treasurer is, right, we have Terry's our assistant. Our co-treasurer is Rose. So we have Anne, Rose, and Terry's assistant treasurer helps to count the offerings. Those guys, they need to, so their role is to work with me in making sure everything is paid. Believe it or not, the power company requires us to pay for our electricity. Jackman Fuel mandates that we pay for our oil. And do you know what happens if we don't? They stop bringing it. It's incredible. The treasurer shall receive all the money of the church and shall keep account of the funds held by the church. The treasurer shall assist the pastor in the proper disbursement of said funds and shall make available a printed report of all accounts on the second Sunday of each month. So we have a, a written printed report in a book we maintain all the records. That's all done by the treasurer. So when, when the bills come, I write on the bills, you know, this comes out of such an account, such an account, such an account, and go ahead and pay this. And, and we maintain all of that in cooperation. But she has to be, or he has to be, a person who is honest. How many of you would agree our treasurer should be honest? <laughs> I mean, we're not looking to vote in folks who we have to constantly be looking around the corner. Are they pocketing our offerings? No. We look for that person who's honest. Just like in Acts chapter 6. Looking for that person who's honest. Do you know that Jesus had a treasurer? Anybody know who it was? Judas Iscariot. He had an honesty problem. And that did not turn out well. So you and I, we seek out those who are honest, those who are uh, Holy Spirit filled, and those who are wise. That's also when it comes to the treasurer. Anybody we, we nominate, anybody we elect, should be genuine, sincere, and completely committed in the things of the Lord here. So the qualifications that we looked in Acts chapter 6 were very brief. But it's interesting when we come over to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus, we find that God really digs deep into the qualifications of not only a pastor, but also the qualifications of a deacon. So turn with me, if you would, real quick, over to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at... Um, Chapter 3. I'm going to take you down through those real quick to show you so that you understand how very detailed the Lord gets. I knew I had water somewhere. First Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 down through 7. These are the qualifications of a pastor. It says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, a pastor, an elder, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, 
given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, not, uh, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report with them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Wow. God really gets, he hones in on the qualifications of a pastor. And you should remember them well. Uh, if ever I drop dead and all of a sudden you got to bring in a new pastor, you want to go to the biblical qualifications. You want to go to your, your church doctrines. You want to make sure these people line up before you ever have them come in. Because it's not a beauty contest. You don't go ahead and say, well, let's find the most handsome preacher. We want a handsome preacher this time. No, that's not what you're doing. You know, you're not saying, well, you know, we like tall preachers. We want a tall preacher. Let's get a tall preacher. No, you need to find a preacher who meets these qualifications biblically. And you go into your church doctrine, make sure that they genuinely and sincerely adhere to the doctrines of the Bible and, and your church. Look with me over if you would. Uh, you have 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then you have a little book called Titus. And Titus also gives us qualification for the pastor. Listen to what it says. Titus chapter 1, we go down, we pick it up in verse 5. For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Wow, he hones right in there. It's interesting when you look at verse 5, we learn the titles of a pastor. Verse 5, they're referred to as elders. Verse 7, they're referred to as bishops. And we refer to them as pastors. The interesting thing, when you go back and you look in the Greek, those are all unique titles reflecting the work of a pastor. So the pastor is like a shepherd pastoral care. Then there's the elder. It's a mentor. It's an older, mature, not a novice, novice, uh, a mentor of people. Bishop is a word that denotes leadership in the Greek. It's a, it's a position of authority and leadership where they help to manage so you find these three words give a big picture of what the role of a pastor is. But he is not elected annually. He's elected once until the Lord changes that. Whether he changes it in the pastor's heart that he's called. Whether the congregation comes to a place where they decide that they need a new pastor because he's violated the doctrine or, or something moral or whatever the case is. Uh, but annually, his position is to be the pastor. But when you come down and you start talking about other officers, they are annually elected. And when we go back to 1 Timothy, look again with me at chapter 3. I read to you the qualifications of a pastor, but the interesting thing about 1 Timothy 3 is he goes into great detail about the qualifications of a deacon. So when we nominate deacons, and almost all of these apply to others too, listen to what he simply says as he gives us the qualifications of our church officers. 1 Timothy chapter 3, listen to what he says in verse 8 on down. And I want you to hear this. I really want you to listen. I know that this message this morning is a little bit technical. It's taken to you a lot of different things. But it's important for us as a church to understand how important these roles are. Listen to what he says about a deacon. 
And I want you to apply it to all officers. Likewise, must the deacons be grave. That means serious. Not double-tongued. They're not liars. Not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in pure conscience. Let these also first be proved. In other words, they're not novices. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. In other words, they need to do what they do right. Even so must their wives be great. Wow, man, even the pastor, they didn't talk about his wife, but here they are with the deacon. They're saying their wives must be grave also, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Then coming back, he says in verse 12, let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. Need to have control of their homes so their houses are not running wild. Remember they said that about the pastor must rule his own home well. In other words, he needs to, needs to be able to care for his family. If they're out of control, how are they going to be a spiritual example? Right? I mean, if, if I still had kids at home and those kids were carousing and drinking and going crazy all through town, people would be saying, what's with that Baptist preacher up on the hill? Have you seen his kids are wilder than a March rabbit? I mean, Wow. So we have to be, we have to learn to go ahead and maintain our families. Deacons as well as pastors need to be good husbands, good leaders. Verse 13, for they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree, meaning good respect and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So my goal this morning is for you to understand and for me to reiterate reinforce that the reason we have officers is because there's a need we need a treasurer we need a church clerk we need uh trustees we need deacons and those are all people from our body of believers but they have to meet qualifications you know for instance do you want an officer who who doesn't give to the church you know they they sit back and they say, oh, I can't afford to give to the church. That's, I'm not going to support the church, but I want to lead it. I had a guy years ago who said to me, Pastor, I want to tell you how we need to do this, this, and this, and this. And I knew the guy was a huge hockey guy. And he was not faithful who's not involved, but he's going to start telling me how we need to run Victory Baptist Church. So I said to him, I said, you're big into hockey, aren't you? He said, yeah, I am. He says, oh yeah, I love hockey. Hockey. I said, so you have coaches in hockey, right? They come out, they get the team together, they get them all trained and get them on track and everything. He says, oh yeah, boy, coaches, they put a lot into that team. I said, yeah, they do. So let me ask you, when, when somebody comes out of the stands and they come down and they bang on the glass in that little section where the coaches and the players are, they bang on there and they say, put so-and-so in. Does the coach stop everything and say, oh, this guy, he wants us to put so-and-so in. You, come on out, we're gonna, he want, let's do that. No. Why? It's not the coach. He's showing up now and then, here and there. He's not investing anything into the team. He just wants to go ahead and tell the team how to play. Same thing with the church. If we want to have leadership in our church, they need to be people who are vested in. They're, they are vested. The pastor's vested. Absolutely committed. Each of us, if we're going to lead, we got to be vested, committed, sold out. We have to be genuinely Holy Spirit led, honest. We need to be people who genuinely want to see the wisdom of God at work in our church. We are getting ready to go next month into our, no, it's this month. 
Today's the fourth. This month, we're going to have our annual business meeting. I need you to pray. Lord, just like in Acts chapter 6, help me to nominate those who I know. You know what? They're vested in the church. They faithfully attend. They support it. I mean, they're behind it. Lord, they are Holy Spirit-led. I see Christ leading them and guiding them. And they're wise. They're wise in their dealing with others. Yes, I'll nominate them. That's what we need to do. We are a blessed church. We're blessed. God has blessed us mightily through the years. We want to see that continue. Amen? Amen. I want that to continue throughout my tenure. I want that to continue for 30, 40, 50, 100 years from now. But that requires all of us. Amen? Amen? That requires all of us. Just like in the Acts chapter 6, we go ahead and we make sure the right people are in the right place to do the work of God. Let's bow our heads as we come to the end of our message this morning. And as your head is bowed, I want to kind of bring this into an application. In your life and in my life, we look into the Bible and we find the wisdom of the leadership of the Lord. And I challenge you to look at the way you do business in your home, on your job, in your community. It should be that you also are honest, Holy Spirit led. And that you are a person, even as all that big long list went, person of respect in the community. Person who's wise enough to deal with others. Not given to addictive substances. Somebody who can be trusted. In your life, is that you? Father in heaven, as we come to the end of our message this morning, as we come to the end of our service, Lord, we are so blessed as a church. Thank you. Thank you for every person who is part of our assembly. Thank you for every leader who has stepped up and said, yes, I will serve. Thank you for every person who is faithfully committed. They, they attend, they support, they, they're vested. Lord, thank you. Help us. Help us to prepare well to serve you in our community. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm going to have Pastor John dismiss us in prayer, and then he's got a little chorus for you. Club 55, don't forget to go down. Mild chili, hot sauce on the side. Because I know, it's kind of like those Grecian and Hebrew ladies. You remember them right over here? Some are saying, don't they know that I can't eat chili? It's too spicy. And the other one's saying, no, 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 they're making it really mild. You can add your own hot sauce. I'm helping to alleviate that. All right, Brother John. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that as we have listened to the preaching of the word of God and we've heard about the, the officers and the trustees and the deacons of the church, Lord, we pray that everything that we do and all that Victory Baptist Church does within its own church and in the community would be an honoring and glory to you. We love you and we thank you for letting us be part of the family of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I didn't know Pastor Taylor was going to preach that message, but I thought pretty fitting that we're actually closing with the chorus. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Sing it out today, would you? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this song.